Kirby Smart was kind of the healing choice. He was a guy who not only did he have a good track record as a coordinator at Alabama, but he's a Georgia boy. Hey there, welcome to a very special episode of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. My name is Scott Duvall. That brief clip you heard at the intro was from Seth Emerson, UGA beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He recently sat down with our very own Will Leach for a quick, fun interview to help shed some light on how the dogs are looking with just one week left until the 2016 opener versus North Carolina. Seth gives his insider perspective into the similarities and the differences of the old and new head coach as Georgia has transitioned from Mark Richt to Kirby Smart. He provides an interesting take on Coach Smart when discussing with Will if Kirby is just a Nick Saban clone or is he going to do it his own way. And yes, towards the end of this brief episode, you will hear the absolute latest on who might or might not be starting under center on September 3rd. And on behalf of Tony and Will, I'd like to personally thank Seth for taking time out of his very busy schedule to join us on the WSLS podcast. So let's get into the show. Here's Will. All right, Seth, first off, thank you for doing this. Uh, I appreciate your time. You're a very busy guy. How are you liking it? How's it different now that you're with the Journal-Constitution uh, and, and you moved on from the last paper? Is it different? Do you like it more? You got a bigger readership? Uh, are, are the pressures different? Is it the job is fun? It's, it's funny. This was more than a year ago, but on Sunday I was working for the Macon Telegraph. On Monday I was working for the AJC, and my, my life didn't change at all. I was in the same house uh, going to the same job. Something there, there's more pressure, um, but the, the benefits are all better. I mean, you, for one thing, I've got more help. I've got a colleague yeah. in Chip Towers who's very good, and he's the guy who's kind of plugged in and he's been here for years and, and knows everybody. Whereas I'm kind of the young buck that uh, you know knows how to write stuff very quickly and <laughs> every one of Kirby Smart's utterances and, and that kind of thing. So it it's 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 a good team we have going, and and it's been good. It's been fun. So I uh, I want to get into specifically. We'll talk about Kirby Smart's uh, philosophy as a coach maybe a little bit later. But I'm curious. We will talk about it later. But I'm curious how it's different just from your perspective. Uh, I I was on the podcast with uh, with uh, Scott and Tony talking earlier about how just being at the. Uh, I took my son to the G Day, not, not to the big ninety three thousand game, but like the the Fan Day a couple of weeks ago. Right. Right. And it was what I found particularly striking was, you know, there was a itinerary on the scoreboard. There was a clock for autographs. And as soon as that clock was gone, it was over. Like it was very TikTok, tick, no, no, no photography allowed, no cameras allowed and so on. It struck me as a particularly, I'd say not that fan friendly of a fan day. It's probably the best way to put it. And, yeah. and it's, and I don't mean that even mean that so much as a criticism, as much as it really strikes me as a shift, uh, at least somewhat culturally, from the Rick era in that, like, we're not, we're not here to make friends, uh, sort of idea. Do you see that from a media side? Is he easier to deal with? Is he more difficult to deal with? What, what have just kind of been the changes from the previous administration to this one? Well, I could go a lot of di- different directions on that. Um, on the fan day thing itself, you're, you're absolutely right about that was kind of the feedback I got from fans themselves. Kirby himself, from what I could tell, actually I was watching this, he stayed and signed autographs for everybody that was in line himself. So he kind of pulled a Cal Ripken to his credit mm-hmm. with that. But yeah, everyone else, all his players <laughs> and were, were thrown, you know, rushed out the door and, and the fans were ushered out. I, I think that 
when he comes here from Alabama, there's a perception that he's going to be Nick Saban Jr. He's going to do everything Nick Saban-like. And there is some stuff that's like that. I mean, media access has been curtailed, although it was starting to be curtailed under Mark Richt anyway. Um, but we don't get to talk to assistants except for once a year. We haven't talked to freshmen. Um, we haven't talked to any of these quarterbacks that are in the competition. Uh, and, and so that kind of stuff is and, – and some minor stuff behind the scenes that I won't bore people with is, is similar. But the thing I keep noticing is just on a one-on-one basis, Kirby Smart isn't Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban, I'm not going to come out and say he's a jerk, but that's, okay. you know, you, he is who he is. Kirby's a little bit, a little bit better uh, in that regard. He's, he's a little bit better one-on-one. He's, he's a little more forthcoming, for, even from a media standpoint. And I've, I've heard some stuff behind the scenes that has gone on that he's done that is a little bit more Mark Richt-like in terms of caring for your players than Nick Saban-like. Um, now, I'm, I'm sitting here sounding like I'm trashing Nick Saban. I've never covered him. I've obviously talked to a lot of people who have covered him. So maybe a lot of these things he does that Nick Saban does that are actually really good for people doesn't get out there. But all I know is that we, I knew all the stuff and a lot of people knew all the stuff that Mark Richt would do for his former players, for his current players, for just regular people. And, you know, you're seeing that Kirby Smart does a little bit of that too. He, he's cut off some things, but as an example – Mark Richt had this uh, Paul Oliver network, which he named after the his, Georgia's former cornerback, San Diego Chargers former cornerback, who shot himself partly out of just kind of disconsolation about the end of his football career, not really have anything else to do. And Mark Richt picked up on that and set up this this network uh, to, to help his former players and, and some very like, you know, low profile players help them in the in the business world and and he's helped a lot of these people get jobs and from everything i've heard uh kirby smart has fully embraced that he's he's kind of taking it on himself he's letting that continue and he's helping with it and what i wonder is whether over time that kirby smart is going to become a little bit more mark rick liked with the the good things you know you you know what i mean he he just maybe i'm being naive and the more he's here he's going to you know, we're, we're going to see the Nick Sabanization and whatever. But you know what? Kirby Smart isn't Nick Saban and Georgia isn't Alabama. You can't take the Alabama template and put it on Georgia, you know, and, and it'll automatically work. But, but isn't that isn't that an argument could be made and we've discussed on the podcast as well that by making the decision to move on from Richt and bring in Kirby Smart, there was at least a tacit admission that, all right, we kind of want to be Alabama. Like or yeah. or that special Georgia thing, the Georgia way that they talk about, is less important than getting a title. Well, and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend and I'm on the show with you right now. But you wrote a great column after Rick's firing that basically said that 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 you know we're Georgia has kind of said we're not that anymore. Um, that we're 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 doing this. Do you see and, that? Do you see that playing out this year, Mike? Yes. Yeah, you do. Well, I I I think that Georgia, for one thing, even when to use the fan day example. Even when that stuff was limited and curtailed, and that affects fans. I mean, fans don't really care when the media whines about right. less access and even about that ridiculous 90-day rule thing that I'm not even sure Kirby had a big hand in that. Um, that His hand in that's been overplayed. But fans don't care about that. But when, when they're 
lives were impacted. Well, another thing was Kirby Smart, you know, didn't do this big tour of the state of Georgia and go see all these bulldog clubs and take pictures with regular fans who just showed up at these meetings. It was basically a donor tour. It was basically a fundraising tour of just rich people. And he made it a little harder. This schedule made it a little harder for the average fan to reach out and touch him. But when he does these things, Georgia fans are okay with it they, because they, if they hear that they did it like this at Alabama and now Kirby's going to do it this way here, they're like, great. You know, they, now, as soon as Kirby starts to lose a few games, if he does, that'll reverse. But the, the Georgia fans were very ready to embrace the Georgia way and Mark Rick's way and what a good Christian man he was and all that um, while he was winning enough. But as soon as they decided he wasn't winning enough, they wanted to go the Alabama way, and and they'll be okay with that as long as Kirby wins. Does that give him less uh, slack? Does that give him less of a honeymoon period? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, it it, it could. Uh, let's say they start two and three. They've got a schedule where they could do that. They could lose to North Carolina or Missouri, um, and then lose to Ole Miss and Tennessee, and they're two and three. And people are like, "Hey, what are we doing here?" But I've written this before. I think that a big reason Mark Richt was let go was people got tired of that one ugly game a year where it was like, what, what happened there? Why didn't they show up? And there were two of those last year, the Florida game being the second one, the Alabama one being the first one. Well, if Kirby, let's say, wins only eight or nine games, uh, which is less than Richt won last year. Well, Richt won nine and then Brian McClendon won the bowl. Um, but if he only wins eight or nine games, Kirby does, but they're competitive in every game. There, there isn't that ugly loss. People are going to be okay with that. Not forever, but this year they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, you know what? We were in every game. We look like we're, I, I think Georgia fans are going to be watching more this year to see how they play. Uh, not necessarily the win total. Now I'm, I'm probably broadly generalizing there, um, there and, and look the day before Mark Richt was fired after the Georgia Tech game. Georgia Tech game is Saturday. He was fired kind of first thing Sunday morning. In between that, I did a poll on Twitter saying how many, you know, do you fire Mark Richt or not? And I think it was 74% wanted him to come back. So Kirby Smart was kind of the healing choice. He was a guy who not only did he have a good track record as a coordinator at Alabama, but he's a Georgia boy. So it was easy for a lot of people, even diehard Rick supporters, and there were a lot, to say, okay, you know, maybe I didn't didn't agree with the Rick thing, but, you know, I'm ready to embrace Kirby. In fact, I think there's some people out there that were diehard against firing Rick who are now claiming they were they were fine with firing Rick (laughs) because everything with Kirby is seemingly going well. Recruiting went pretty well, but, you know, he's in this honeymoon period. Everything seems like it's going great. Um, I haven't played any games yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as soon as they start losing games, if they do lose games, then yeah, that's going to, you know, the there there is, if that Twitter poll was representative and another couple writers, I think, did polls that had like similar results, then there are 70% of the Georgia fans out there that are going to be ready to pounce if Kirby Smart doesn't win like Mark Rick did. Particularly if Miami is good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my neighbor, and I, I don't think it's because he's a Mark Richt fan, but um, and he might be. I think he is, but he, I think he's like a Miami graduate. But my neighbor to my left has a Miami flag 
and a Georgia flag. And Chip has a neighbor who who was like all in on Miami now. That's it's going to be an interesting dynamic this year. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to be they may not admit it. Their favorite team is going to be Georgia. Their second favorite is going to be Miami, or at least the team they are watching the most, other than Georgia, is Miami. People are going to be really curious how Rick does down there. Yeah, I know. I, I know if the, if Georgia weren't playing Tennessee that day, I suspect you'd see a lot of people going to see Miami at Georgia Tech on yes. October first. So. Yes, but that is a yes. game, so probably not. Um, all right, so we talk about the team a little bit. Chubb healthy like is, is that yes. just a situated that's the deal like it's been that way for a while and it seemed it was kind of weird i saw you mention this in your piece that uh, uh from this week the idea like it seemed kind of surprising that people were like breaking news nick trump's gonna be okay yeah. but like he's been okay for a while but now is it pretty much official is he at 100 percent in that north carolina game a game where it's like obviously running the ball is going to be key for them to score a lot of points is he the hoss that game are they just giving the, the ball to him three times is he ready for that or or what stage is he there I, I don't think he gets the ball 30 times um, because that's that's a lot right, right. <laughs> uh, for his first game back. And you know what? I've heard conflicting things. I've heard some people, you know, we don't get to see these scrimmages or all of practice. But I've, I've heard I've had some people tell me who have seen these scrimmages that he looks great. He's, he's back to his old self. And people have been like, you know, who cares who the quarterback is? 27 is fine. He can run over everybody. I had at least one other person tell me, eh, I don't know if he looks back to his old stuff. I don't know if he's 100%. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the media doesn't get to see enough out there. I mean, he's been running fine, really, since uh, the beginning of preseason. He's taken hits, and he's he's been up to speak to the media now three times, which is three times more than I thought he would be mm-hmm. before the preseason started. So that level of confidence is there in him. I, I just I don't know until we actually see him against North Carolina and whether he's got the full jets or not. And if Sonny Michelle's not ready for that game, is it, is it just, is Brendan Douglas, the other guy, do they, do they put, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, Elijah Holyfield, uh, if, if the ankle is fine, will be a factor. He'll, he'll play a little bit, but you know, Kirby said something interesting to chip the other day at this touchdown club thing when, when he asked about Holyfield's, ankle and availability Kirby was kind of like yeah you know it'd be fine but he wasn't really gonna get many carries for me you know starting off so I don't know if that was a little gamesmanship or or what but it was surprising because he certainly looked like the third best guy and the thing is I wouldn't rule out Sony Michelle getting some carries against North Carolina he the the thing is he, he hasn't been cleared yet but that's only an arm and and people forget he rushed for over a thousand yards last year so if he's available for Georgia against North Carolina which is Little under fifty fifty chances of that, but it's it's not that far under fifty fifty. The whole thing, the whole Alabama thing, is based on line strength, uh, and then building out from there. Uh, but that's the one thing you can always count on: is pressure off the ball uh, on offense or defense. How is that coming together, particularly the defensive line? I think the offensive line has come together a little bit. How does the defensive line, is there, are they going to be able to get a pass rush? Are there people clearly emerging? Are they excited about that coming out of campus? Do they feel like that's going to be a strength, or do they feel like just the secondary will be good enough that they can deal with that for a little bit? Uh, a lot of good talent in the front seven. question is whether it's going to come together right away. Um, I mean, they got some five-stars back there. Lorenzo Carter was a five-star. Roquan Smith who was the guy who didn't sign the LOI after you know, the UCLA signing day thing a year ago. He's looks like he's going to play a lot of inside linebacker. Trent Thompson was like the nation's number one recruit according to some services in 2015. 
Jonathan Ledbetter's got at least a two-game suspension, but once he plays, he's you know he's he's a guy that Alabama wanted. Alabama had a commitment from him, and he flipped to Georgia. So they got a lot of talent back there, but they're all like freshmen and sophomores. Lorenzo Carter's a junior, Davin Bellamy, outside linebacker, junior. So uh, a lot of unproven guys. If I, I think that's going to be a really, really good front seven in a year or two. I just I don't know about right now. O line, best thing I think they got going for them is their their coach Sam Pittman. It may have been that they they hired Jim Chaney, the offensive coordinator, so that they could get Sam Pittman as O line coach. That guy's really good. And they've got three seniors, but it, you know, are, are there any first round picks on that line right now? I I don't know that there are. All right, so. I'm, I, I want a little credit here. We've gotten 15 minutes in. I have not asked you a single quarterback question. That ends now. Uh, so uh, I've read some of your stuff. Your general argument is not so much argument, but your takeaway is that it's probably going to be Lambert or Eason, which is, you know, I mean, I guess uh, as opposed to, to Ramsey. Is it first off before even I'm not going to ask you who you, the quarterback is going to be because you don't know, but is it unusual? Do you find it strange uh, when they're coming out and they get the daily updates and you, you drudge out there and be like, "Hey, quarterback position," and he gives you the same answer every day? Do you feel that like that is because they know and aren't saying, or do you think it's because they they legitimately were you know eight days out from the game as we have this conversation and they still haven't made a decision? Uh, do you think they know and are just holding it off, or do you think they're genuinely still up in the air who's going to start? As of last night, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, so maybe they made a decision this morning, even like late Thursday night. But as of after practice yesterday or through yesterday's practice, my belief is they, they honestly did not know who they were going to start. They may have thought they had a good idea that it was either going to be Eason as long as you know he doesn't you know what the bed in practice and the final scrimmage, or they may have thought that they're probably going to go with Lambert, but they're just catching Eason up with the reps, but have, have they made a decision? No. I mean, I, I, I think I would know if they had gathered the team around and told them, Hey, it's going to be so-and-so, but don't say anything to the media. I don't think that's happened. I think they're still legitimately torn because you got a pretty stark choice. You've got a fifth year senior who won a lot of games last year and has started a lot of games at the college level and won't be shocked by anything he sees that North Carolina and Gene Chizik, it's defensive coordinator throws at him. But the perception is that he's just he's not a difference maker, Grayson Lambert. So you've got the choice between him or the five star quarterback that people are pretty sure is going to be playing on Sundays. Could be a candidate to be a overall number one pick someday, but it would be his first college game. So that's uh, that's the choice that it's coming down to. And I, I don't think they they honestly know what it's going to be. Should we draw any sort of philosophical notions as to who they are or what they're – I mean, we still haven't, we haven't seen a single game from this team yet. Uh, and all we've gotten is, as you're excellent, dispatches from camp. But certainly it's still kind of up there of what they are and who they're going to be and what they stand for. Should we take anything philosophically away? Is it a roll of the dice to, uh, to start Eason? Is it conservative and too nervy to start Lambert? Like, or is this really just a factor of – Who's the better quarterback for this particular game? Is there a situation where Lambert starts this game and even no matter what happens in that game, Eason's starting in in a month or a month and a half? Yeah. Is there, is there something like that as well? Well, it's interesting. When you talk to people, I think people, um, fans, and there, there's a lot of fans out there that still think Bryce Ramsey's going to start. 
I, I just I would be shocked at that at this point. But if you talk to fans, there is a divide. It may be 50 50, like between whether it'll be Eason or or Lambert or Ramsey starting the opener. But as you go like each game along the line, everyone's more and more sure that it's going to be Eason. It's like, all right, maybe Lambert won't be ready in the opener, but they'll start him against Nichols State the second week. Or maybe, you know, uh, Eason won't be ready, you know, the first five games because, like I said, there's tough stretch there, Ole Miss and Tennessee back-to-back. And Missouri, don't sleep on Missouri because no. it's on the road. So, but everybody's sure that it's going to be Eason by, like, say, the Florida game at end of October or just the bowl game. I mean, I'm I'm not so sure. I mean, what if what if Grayson Lambert or even Bryce Ramsey, shockingly, like the light comes on? I mean, I I don't. I hope Brian Schottenheimer isn't listening to this. And I, I keep, you know, I, I hate to always kind of throw dirt on his Georgia <laughs> career, but right. um, but please go ahead. But there there were just a lot of you know, head scratching things that went on last year with the offense. And, and he and the O-line coach, Rob Sale came from two different backgrounds. And, and we saw when Mike Bobo was here with Will Friend, like how important having a, just being on the same page, an offensive coordinator, an offensive line coach, how important that is to an offense. And now you've got Jim Chaney, who's more respected as a college coordinator and, and Sam Pittman who's very respected as an O-line coach. What if the light comes on? And, and Grayson Lambert or Bryce Ramsey light it up this year. Uh, you know, then maybe Jacob Beeson isn't the guy uh, at the end of the year. But I would probably still be among those people who would fall in the category if I expect that number 10 will be the quarterback when the season ends. Yeah, because it does feel, I mean, heck, okay, let's say Lambert starts and they win against North Carolina and then win Nickel State. And I agree, I'm of the belief that Missouri's a tougher game than people get. I just honestly yeah. think people down here just don't consider Missouri part of the, of the SEC still. And, Despite uh, winning two yes. SEC East divisions. This, yeah. Yes, this Midwesterner loves to fight them on this, yes. Um, yeah. But uh, but even if like let's say they went they go three and one in those first four games, Mississippi I think is going to be tough. But let's say they go three and one with wins and the, and the losses to Mississippi. Like that feels like then your real big decision point. Like that feels like your okay because yeah. that, that Tennessee game is then the biggest game of the year. Like they can right. they can deal with a loss to Mississippi if as long as they get a win in that Tennessee game. That feels like that decision to be made. But it does feel, and I think that's why you, you mentioned your Schottenheimer thing. It strikes me that no matter what there will not be something like the inexplicability of the Florida game last year. Like, there are grown-ups yeah. in charge here. Is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, we... I know, you're not, you're not yeah. calling Schottenheimer a child. I know. Yeah. But that the, mindset it, is... It does. It feels like there's, just, there's steadier hand. There's steadier hands here, if, if, even if it is just uh, from a more experienced offensive coordinator. Well, the, the Bauta decision was like an uh, emotional decision last year starting him because, you know, fan. I mean, it, when, when it came out that he was going to start, you started to see like former players, former Georgia players who had played with Bauta, like Todd Gurley and Aaron Murray, I think even too, like coming out on Twitter and talking about how excited they were about that because everyone loved Fatone. And there was this idea he was going to inject something into the team and, and then it just didn't happen. I think there's a sense there won't be those kind of emotional decisions this year. And th- that's why that's what makes the decision on who's going to start the opener so fascinating, because if it's Grayson Lambert, you know, a lot of fans are going to boo 
Um, you know, if, 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 like, if, if, I mean, they're going to boo on message boards on Twitter if, if it's announced before the game, but if we don't know who the starter is before the game starts and lo and behold, Grayson Lambert trots out there, there's going to be booing, even if he might be the best choice for at least winning that game. And I'll, I'll just be curious, like how much Kirby and Jim Chaney and other coaches and whatnot are the decision makers here, how much they are aware of that and how much they, they care about it. I would tend to think they, they don't, if they start Grayson Lambert, it's going to be because they think he gives them the best chance to win that game. But you know, if they start Eason, I think that also says something about the veterans that they have at quarterback and their level of confidence in them. All right. uh, (laughs) Last question before I let you go here. And I appreciate uh, your time on this. You talked earlier about the idea that as long as there's no like inexplicable Florida games like last year or just like non-competitive, so on, there's a wipeout. But like, uh, then the, I think the fans will be generally okay. But it is worth noting that, frankly, the schedule is not the worst thing this year. Like, like if if you had a if you had peak Georgia, where uh, Smart's had everything run for a few years, and everybody and Eason's not a freshman. And the defensive line that's a work in progress that's going to be really good next year uh, is now, and they're they're all at peak spot. This is a perfect schedule. Like like in a yeah. lot, like other than the fact that maybe okay, rather than playing at Mississippi, maybe you play home against Mississippi State. Right. But other than that, like this is really they've got Missouri, who I think is a tougher game than, than people think, but still is a is that's your road game. You get Tennessee at home, you get Auburn at home, you get Georgia Tech at home. It feels like. Eight and four is understandable, but still may feel a little bit like a missed opportunity. Or now, is that do you think that's fair? Or am I like, am I still underrating? Like, do you think Tennessee? Let's just put that out there. Do you think Tennessee is the most talent? Do you think Georgia and Tennessee are equal on a talent level? Like, is that a game that if you're at home against Tennessee, even with the roster that Georgia has, Georgia should be able to win? Or is this too much of a transition year? I think. Georgia, if you looked five, ten years down the line, Georgia and Tennessee would probably have the most NFL players or would have the, the same amount of NFL players, I mean. So they're, they're equal in terms of talent. But Tennessee's more veteran, and they don't have the transition coaching staff situation. Now, on the other hand, Florida won the East last year in Jim McElwain's first year. So, you know, transition, smanzition. Uh, you know, so – but uh, – I. I think the fact that it's the fact that that game is here really helps Georgia. And like you said, they could lose the Ole Miss game and still, you know, roll into Atlanta in December playing Alabama, let's say, for a spot in the playoffs. But the Tennessee one's kind of key. It's kind of hard to see them losing to Tennessee, but still winning the division if, you know, unless they beat Ole Miss. So that that's, but the schedule. The schedule, you're right. It's really manageable. Um, it just, it's hard to, it's easy for us to sit here and game out, I think, the first five or even six games because South Carolina, it's hard to see them being any good, even though that game's at Columbia and that place has given Georgia trouble. But I just think they're going to be so bad that Georgia can overcome that. But looking later in the year, what if Auburn's a lot better and that game's here? Um, what if, uh, you know, Georgia Tech's a lot better, even though that game's here? So, there, this is a manage. This is a very manageable schedule, but I've I've covered this league enough to know that there's going to be a team or two that just kind of kind of come come out of nowhere, and there's going to be a team or two that just spits the bit and is just not very good. So it, it's hard to sit here and say for sure that it's 
that it's it's a great schedule or it's a hard schedule. All right, man. Uh, thank you for your time. We'll be making sure to read all of your stuff throughout the season. I'm, I'm glad I get, I get to know you. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. So uh, you, you're, you're doing a great job uh, keeping, us, keeping us entertained. All right. Well, I don't know about entertained. <laughs> Informed but, and entertained. Yeah. But, that chart analysis. I'm sure all your uh, Missouri fans are like, ooh, I want to find out who Georgia's third left guard it's is. A, it, you make it more entertaining than it necessarily It's Ben be. Cleveland, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Of course, I had no doubt that that would not be on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But everyone, follow Seth Emerson uh, on Twitter at Seth Emerson S A J C S E T H E M E R S O N A J C, and we'll be checking out with you, checking in the, uh, throughout the year, man. Thanks, thanks for coming on. All right, man. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening. As Will mentioned, you can and should. Follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Emerson AJC for all of the latest updates as the dogs prepare for the Chick-fil-A kickoff game against the Tar Heels. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to tweet us at WSLS Podcast. Check back with us on Thursday for our next episode as Will, Tony, and I will give our thorough game analysis, preview, thoughts, and anything else that pops in our mind. <laughs> so have a good one until then. Go dogs, and as always, we'll see you on campus.